Hannah read for us, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. We will pick up that reading in verse 20 this morning in John chapter 12. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show that what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. While you, while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. This is the word of the Lord. If you've been with us over these last weeks and periods of time, you realize that in the Gospels the intensity is rising. It's coming to a head. The religious leaders are fit to be tied at this point about Jesus fearful that maybe they've waited too long. That's where we find ourselves this morning. Last week, they raised, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. His greatest sign. At this point, two things were happening. There was a camp that was coming to see who he was and is and love him and there was another camp that hated him both observed the same evidence both saw the signs that Jesus performed one loves him the other hates him Jesus coming into the world causes a division to take place Jesus talked about that It was his greatest sign that he performed here. The sign above all other signs as he raised Lazarus from the dead. He'd been in the tomb several days. There was no doubt about the authenticity of this miracle. Remember just previous to that, we had read the story of the healing of the blind man from birth, which was quite a sign in itself. A man who had never known sight sees 
And they tried to do everything they could to discount it and couldn't. And then Jesus follows it just not very long afterwards with the raising of Lazarus from the dead. The religious leaders were meeting in secret. They were doing everything they could now to get rid of Jesus. Look at how the division took place from last week in verse 45 of chapter 11. Just, just look at what's happening. Even the religious leaders themselves acknowledge that these things happened. Even the religious leaders themselves knew that they could not discount both the blind man seeing and now Lazarus being raised from the dead. It says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. They didn't discount the signs. They acknowledged he performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Do you see there how central to Christianity seeing is? They all saw the signs. They even acknowledged the signs were taking place. But they didn't see. All of them didn't. The religious leaders did not see spiritually. They did not see Jesus for who He was. God has to work in hearts to cause them to see. And they were not seeing. Now we pick up the story in chapter 12. Chapter 12 opens with a dinner taking place. Just a little while after just hours after probably Lazarus was, was raised from the dead. And there in this story we find Martha and Mary and Lazarus and a great crowd that was gathering there. They had heard about what had happened. In verse 11 it says this, Because on the count of him many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And therefore, because of that, Lazarus had a bounty on his head. They were out not only to get Jesus at this point, but they were out to get Lazarus as well. To kill him. To continue in their frantic attempt to snuff it out. That's where the religious leaders were at. And then we pick up the story now in verse 12. Look at it there. Verse 11, or chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus, the dinner at Lazarus' home. And then it says, the next day. Do you get the, the, the weight of that? The next day. Crowds came out. The triumphal entry that we displayed here took place, where large crowds were gathering, large crowds were coming around. Why? Well, because of the signs that Jesus had performed, but particularly because just the day before he had performed his greatest sign and many were believing he had raised Lazarus from the dead. That's the crowd that was gathering. That's the crowds that heard about that in Jerusalem as he came into Jerusalem. Can you just imagine what was being said? Just imagine what the setting was like. 
of these people who were standing beside the roadside waiting for Jesus to come to affirm the things they were to affirm. That's the setting. And the interesting thing about Jesus is here, He does not run away from it. In fact, He embraces it. He embraces the idea that He's a king. The way He embraces it is we find in verse 15. It says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it and fulfilled what was written in Zechariah's prophecy. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey. The very fact that that is inserted was the recognition that John knew Jesus was embracing it here. He was embracing the fact that, in fact, he was a king. He was fulfilling the prophecy of the book of Zechariah here in this text. If you go back just a few chapters, you don't need to turn there, but if you went back to John chapter 6, remember that? Remember when he had the largest numbers coming out to to him and to follow him? And at that point, he began to talk about some difficult things and those crowds began to go away. He He didn't call them back. He didn't beckon them back there. He didn't embrace really his kingship there. But now he does. It's different. There's a different setting, a different tone. The reason is that Jesus knew the time that the Father had shown to him. And this was the time. This was the time that he was declaring, I am the king. He embraces the fact that he's king. Well, it's interesting what happens. That's what I want to look at this morning for just a minute. Look at, again, the reaction of the Pharisees in verse 19. Look, look what's going on. It says, so the Pharisees said to one another, This is after he's come into Jerusalem, after the crowds have have been in a a frenzy about him. The Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Again, they're, they're thinking it all may be lost. The world is going after him. Everyone is going after Him. And yet they continue to come after Him. To kill Him. Now, look at the text. That statement is made. The world has gone after Him. And then John decides to say what he says next. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. When you read scripture, you should ask, why, John? Why, why insert that now? You, you understand Greeks are Gentiles. Greeks are not Jews. They could have been proselytes, in other words, converted to Judaism, but most people think they were not. They were just Gentiles. So why does John, here in this text, right after the Pharisees say the world has gone after him, everyone is following him, insert a question that now comes from some Greeks, some non-Jews, some pagans in the eyes of the Jewish people. And then it goes on to say, so these came to Philip, these Greeks, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew told Philip, and went and told Jesus. 
And then Jesus said, and we'll hold that for a minute. So what happened is the disciples got word to Jesus. Now that we don't know for sure if there was ever a meeting between these Greeks and Jesus. We don't know if they ever got connected. But why is it inserted in the text? Why does John think it important for us to know here in this text that there were some Greeks, some Gentiles, who were wanting to see Jesus? I think it's because Jesus came not to just be the king of the Jews, but to be the king. The king of all men. The king of both Gentile and Jew. King of all the nations. From every tribe and tongue and nation. I think that's the significance of this text. I think that's why here at this point, Jesus has come to that point. Turn with me to a prophecy that really is being fulfilled. I'd like you to turn with me to Romans chapter 9. I want you to listen. Listen to what's being fulfilled here, I think, in this coming of the Jews and why John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, inserted this at this point in the text. Listen to what the Scripture says in Romans 9. Listen to what Paul says about this king who was not king just of the Jews, but of all nations. Those who were not my people... I will call my people. Now, his people at that point were the Jewish nation. Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sands of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. This is the key right here. They have stumbled over the stumbling stones. The men who said the world has gone after him. Stumbled. And what did they stumble over? The scripture says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This was not only a Jewish king. Jesus was not only embracing that, but he was declaring, I think I am the king of kings, the king of all nations, of every tribe and of every nation. That's the significance here. It's a a significance for us. It, It ought to make us, as Gentiles, rejoice. If he's not the king of all nations, we may as well go home. It's over. If he only came to be king of the Jews, what good is that to us? He came to be king. King of all men, of every tribe, of every tongue.
of every nation. There's an irony here, isn't there? A huge irony. The ones who should have recognized that, the ones who should have realized who Jesus was and is, stumbled over it. The stumbling stone, the very thing they should have recognized, the very fact that the prophecies were lining up. The prophecy here in Zechariah, he will come riding on a donkey. Oh, maybe they could have dismissed that and said, well, he knew that prophecy, so he found a donkey to come in with. But what about the fact that this feast that took place with Lazarus was six days before the Passover? What about the fact that if they just would do their homework, that this Jesus was going to die? Passover. The Passover celebration. You see how they should have recognized it? You see how they should have known that everything was coming together? They knew the Scriptures. They knew them well. They would have put most all of us in this room to shame for how well they knew the Scripture. And yet their eyes were blinded. All of these things began to line up. And they didn't see it. They were blind. They were blind in it. And their only declaration is, how can you, a man, claim to be God? That's what they were out to get Jesus for. They were out to get Him. Again and again, they were out to get Him. They were so blinded that they couldn't see. Now the question I would ask as we come to the table this morning is, is, do you see? Do you see? And if you don't see, do you want to see? Is there something in you that says, I want to see? I want to see. You ask the same questions that the Greeks ask. I want to see. Let me see. Now look at Jesus' response in that. Look at, look at what he says. To their question, this is the answer he gives. This is the answer I give to you. Do you want to see? Listen. This is what Jesus says. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Where do we see? Where do we look to see? Right here. Right here. And all that this represents. And what these elements represent to us this morning. We look to where we see the glory of God most concentrated. And the place we see the glory of God most concentrated is in the face of Christ. And all that He has done to be the King of the world. He's the King of the world. Do you look to these elements this morning? And what they represent in representing the King, we do it in remembrance of Him, we do it in remembrance of Christ and all that He did for us on the cross. Do we look to that as our only hope? When you come this morning, evidence of whether you see or not, evidence of whether you really understand, is whether you look to this as your only hope. Not one hope among many. 
Not one hope among a few, but one hope. We have said it and said it again in these last days, these last weeks, as we've been winding down this chronological walk through the Gospels. You can believe that there are multiple roads to heaven. And you're going to jump on this one as a viable option. You can believe that, but that's not what Jesus taught. That's not what he said. What Jesus said is, I am the king. I am the only king. I'm not one king among many kings. I am the king. So I say to you this morning, do you see that? Is he your only hope? Is he what you rest in? Is his work that he accomplished on the cross what you glory in? What gives you life? This morning we're going to come to this table and these elements will be distributed to you. We have open communion in our fellowship. You need not be a member here, but you do need to live under this invitation. Let me read it to you this morning. For all who live in rebellion against God and unbelief, this holy food and drink will bring you only further condemnation. If you have not yet cast the full weight of your hope on the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what I just said. If you've not put the full weight, all of your weight, on what this represents. Again, not one option among many, but the only option, the only hope. That's what Jesus declared. Is that what you hope in? Is that where your soul rests? Only God can open your eyes to see that. I pray He will. I pray He is. I pray you understand this is what we glory in. If you have not yet cast the full weight of your hope on the finished work of Jesus Christ and now seek to live under His gracious reign, we ask you to abstain. Nevertheless, for those of you who have acknowledged your sin and affirmed your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the promise is sure. Whoever eats my body and drinks my blood has eternal life and will not come into condemnation. You are invited to this sacred meal not because you are worthy in yourselves, but because you are clothed in Christ's righteousness. Do not allow the weakness of your faith or your failures in the Christian life to keep you from this table, for it is given to us because of our weakness and because of our failures in order to increase our faith by feeding us with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. As the word has promised us God's favor, so also our Heavenly Father has added this confirmation of His unchangeable promise. So come, believer, for the table is ready. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord Jesus Christ, our King, Our only King is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that you will work in us. And Lord, help us. Help us even today as we eat and drink in remembrance of you. To realize part of the affirmation of that is the declaration that you are the King, the only King. And we trust you. 
We trust your promise that says, and we read it this morning, that he who believes in you, puts his full weight of his hope in you, will never be put to shame. Lord, we come. Strengthen us with that hope this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like for those that are going to help us this morning, if you'd take your places, the worship team is going to lead us in song and we'll distribute the elements to you. Jesus said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance that I am your Savior and your King.
This is about your king, the king. The king who humbled himself. The king who laid down for a time his right to wield his kingly scepter. But he never was not a king. Take and eat as you embrace that king. take and hold this and we'll drink in remembrance of our King.
blood of a king. King of kings and Lord of lords. King above all kings. And yet a king who staked his very royalty on the fact that he would fulfill promises. Promises like we read in Romans. He who believes in him, this king, will never be put to shame. Never. Do you rest there? Is that where your hope lies in that king? And when things begin to waver and you begin to wonder because of your own fickleness, do you at times just say, Lord, if you don't save me, I won't be saved because I'm not looking anywhere else. I don't have any other options. That's the king we come to. The king who declared that. There are no other options. I'm the option. That's what Christianity declares. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. To not embrace me is to remain in your sins with no hope. That's what Jesus said. I pray that you see this king. You embrace this king. And he's your only king. Take and drink and be grateful. Let's stand together and sing. this morning, Father, as we leave this place, we just declare to you, the one who said, we who believe in you will never be put to shame. We declare, Lord, that's where we rest. And all the people said, Amen. You're dismissed.